0: All right, I want to shift gears, and I want to talk with you about anger. Aren't you excited? Um, my goal is that we won't leave angry, although any time you talk about anger, it's, all, it's always a possibility, right? Um, and it feels like, I, it could just be me, it feels like we live at a time when anger is just at an all-time high. Does any, would anyone else say that it feels like there's a lot of anger out there right now? Uh, and it also feels like if you're not angry, it's not really hard to kind of pick something to be angry about right now. Um, you can be mad about all kinds of different things. Uh, we're continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 21, uh, and this is the next section. So it's important that we recognize this sermon was not something that Jesus just with you know, ADD decided, you know, I think I'll, I'll talk about a bunch of stuff. And I'll just throw it out there and see how it lands. That's not really how Jesus taught. It's not how he functioned. Uh, We think about every section he's talking about through previous, the lens that he's already talked about. And we entered in with the beginning of the Beatitudes where the Beatitudes said, you know, if you are poor in spirit and you are suffering and you have no standing around anyone and you question your value and and you do not um, oppress others or use your faith to be aggressive Towards others, and if you're persecuted, and people say bad things about you because of your faith, you know you're you're blessed because the very thing you have your faith in, the kingdom of God, is here. It's right here, and in front of you. So those who are struggling to live and function in this world because you just don't feel like you fit, you are blessed. The kingdom of God is here. And then he moved on to say, you're the way you live your life, you're going to show people what this kingdom looks like the way you live your life is going to fertilize the soil of their lives so that when they receive the gospel, it, it, it's, it's in good soil. And the gospel takes root and it grows and a person comes to know Christ and begins to live out of that faith. But also recognize that Jesus is not coming to say it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter um, how you live or how you act. It actually matters a lot because Jesus didn't come to remove the law. He came to show us what it looked like when we lived it out. And so we talked about the fact that the law is good. The law leads us to love God and to love each other. And it, it also leaves some gaps. Like we don't have a law for every possible scenario in which there's a broken relationship or a problem. But when we look at many of the laws, a lot of them have to do with just relationships with each other and relationships with God. How do we have good, healthy relationships? So the law is good. And when we live our lives through it, when we let it permeate us, when we um, not only know what it is, but more importantly, we know the purpose of the law, which is to be restored to the place where God created us, where we do love God, and we're in a community where we truly love each other. Now we understand the law differently than simply do the right thing. And a lot of times, kind of in our Western thinking, Our Western thinking likes lists of things to do and not do. And then on our list, we each have like our top things you should or should not do. And at times, that way of thinking about the law leads us to become incredibly critical of other people beyond the the don'ts that they're doing, but we tend to ignore the don'ts that we're doing. And uh, we tend to miss some of the do's that they're doing. But we never miss the dues that we ourselves are doing, and so the law can become really problematic, and uh, and that's a, a huge issue today. On Sunday mornings, I usually come in super early, uh, and I kind of get the, I, we turn the heat on so to save money. We kind of lower the heat in the in the winter during the week, and and in the summer we lower the air, and so it's kind of hot during the week in the. Um, summer, and it's kind of cold in the winter, so I come in early, I turn the heat on, so uh, it's kind of warm when you all come in, but also for our band when they're rehearsing. Um, and then I, I kind of turn stuff on, and then I disappear. Uh, and I go usually down to a Starbucks, and I sit, and I kind of go over my notes, and I kind of figure out what do I need to leave out, and what do I need to leave in. Um, this morning, interestingly, two things happened that are, I felt like incredibly relevant for today's message on anger. Um, and the first one was, when I walked in to Starbucks, I could hear them talking. No one else was in there. Uh, they don't come until later. So nobody else was in there. And I heard one employee tell another employee, yeah, they're they're a Christian, but they're just really judgmental. And, you know, proceeded to go in and start talking about how they dislike Christians. Well, here I come walking in, and um, so they stop, uh, so I get... My coffee, and I go sit down, but I'm listening, because this is a very important conversation for me to hear. Um, I want to know what's going on, and they then go on to talk about just all their issues with all kinds of people, but specifically with Christians. And I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons that we have that problem today, <coughs> excuse me, is we have focused on the do's and the don'ts, not on the loving God and loving people, uh, On of counterproductively, what we can do when we shift the pendulum the other way is we just say we're just going to love and we're not going to do anything that makes anybody mad and I will just tell you good luck with that I mean good luck with that Christian or not I don't care who you are good luck trying not to have people mad at you but anger feels like it's it's at an all-time high and so I said there were two things this morning the second one I read an article and I remember this story and I just thought, well gosh what a what a great um it's not great, it's a terrible story, but what a what a perfect description of what Jesus is trying to get into and um uh, it's about this woman um in las vegas she um she killed a man uh not intentionally, um, but she killed a man she got mad she killed him. This is the story it says a Las Vegas woman was sentenced to eight to twenty years in prison friday uh that was two days ago. In the death of a 74-year-old man, she shoved out the door of a bus in 2019. You Remember this story? Somebody remember this story? Okay. Last month, um, Kadisha Bishop, she's 28, by the way, pleaded guilty to abuse of an older, vulnerable person resulting in substantial bodily harm or death. She had originally been charged with murder. Uh, This is her. I'm sorry for my behavior, Bishop told the judge Friday while complaining about her betrayal in the media you know that's what kind of like the i'm sorry but you you ever get those i'm sorry but um i've been treated unfairly i'm sorry for the way that i was portrayed in my lowest and weakest moment of my life which i believe is probably true probably true Uh, i don't know why she was angry i don't know um what was going on in her life i have no doubt that was probably a weak moment um and a weak moment that any one of us could have at any given time of our own lives I'm sorry for the way I was portrayed in my lowest and weakest moment of my life. She said, the way that I've been portrayed is just not fair for somebody who's never been in trouble before. Ah, which is an important part to what we're about to talk about because when we approach some of the do's and don'ts of Scripture, we have a tendency to think about, well, my actions versus my thoughts and my motives. I haven't acted like this before, in other words, is what she's saying. And... um, she goes on, authorities say Bishop pushed um, Serge Fournier, who was 74, off a public bus uh, on March 21st, 2019, causing him to hit his head on the sidewalk about eight feet from the door. Before she pushed him, Fournier, the victim, had reportedly asked Bishop to be nice to the passengers. Witnesses said she had been swearing and yelling at other riders, according to the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Disha Bishop was sentenced to eight to 20 years in prison. She pushed him with both hands with enough force that he never touched any of the steps. An arrest report said he died a month later. Now why am I giving you this news? Why am I reading this to you? Not, it's not to say that Bishop is a terrible person. Um, it's to say that our anger at times takes us places we would never go otherwise. It causes us to do things we would never do Otherwise, and it causes us to hurt people in ways not necessarily intentionally want to hurt them, but yet damage is done nonetheless. Apparently, she was upset in general uh, because this is say she was yelling and cursing at all the other passengers, and this elderly gentleman simply said, "Please be nice to the other passengers," which just set her off, and in a moment of a lack of control, pushed him out the door and caused injuries in which he would die. I'm guessing no one in this room has done that. But I'm guessing every one of us have thought about it, right? Right? Uh, so I'm thinking about this story. I'm driving back from Starbucks. I'm, I I drive up to um, one of our wonderful traffic circles in nice great city of Red Bank, of which I don't know anyone that enjoys those. And I'm just thinking, how does a person, what's going on in her life that a person gets to this place in life? And a person in front of me stops a good 20 feet from the traffic circle, waiting for their turn to get onto the traffic circle, but nobody's coming, but they've stopped. <coughs> and like you, and probably in a moment like that, I felt, I, I know how a person gets that way, because I'm getting angry right now, right? excuse my cough, by the way. I have a nagging cough that won't go away. I am not contagious nor positive of anything. I'm just getting over whatever I've had for the last couple of weeks. So, um, how do we see ourselves in this story? See, most people read this story, and I'm guessing the people that, um, maybe the lady that was talking in Starbucks, (coughs) excuse me, Maybe she had some of those moments too. <coughs> I may have to stop. We may be a short one today. Oh, I can't stop coming. <clears throat> how many times do we read stories like this? And we say, how dare they? Do we say, how does a person get to that point? What kind of a terrible person is that? And then how many times do we pull up to a traffic circle and we get upset? Or to the line at um, Walmart. (coughs) Goodness, I do not know what's going on with my throat. But how many times do we do that? How do we see our place in this story? Some of you are getting angry right now because I keep coughing, right? Getting angry with myself. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter five verse twenty one. Because anger is not unique to any one person. Anger is a basic human emotion. I'll also say before we get through today, anger. Our goal to get at the end of this sermon is not to be the place where you never get angry. Anger is not just a God given emotion. It can do very, It can do really great things, but it can also do really oh, things. It can also do really bad things. Oh, this is a recola. I'm gonna to have to sing now. Don't you sing when you pop one of these? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, thank you for that. That was not needed nor kind. Probably accurate. Says so you have heard it, heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother Will be liable to judgment. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like that. I like what we've heard before. <laughs> don't kill anybody. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now if you're a student of Jesus' teachings, uh, you've heard some of these things he's saying in other places. And, And some of these he's going to use parables They say this exact same message, They continue to try to get this point across. And as we look at this, there is the face value stuff where we just say, uh, this is what he's saying, it's very clear what he's saying, Um, don't be angry. And if we come away with that understanding of Jesus' words, then we miss what Jesus is actually saying here. Because he's not just talking about anger, what we see is Jesus, the whole sermon on the mount is about the kingdom of God, right? It's, It's not about this is how you're a good person because the Bible is very clear, we can't do that on our own. We can only truly be good uh, with the help of God, and specifically now as fallen people with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only way that we can truly be good again. He's not saying, in order to be good, do these things, but, but that's how many people read this, and that's why there are so many frustrated Christians, and that's why there are so many people frustrated with Christians, is because we're trying to do the do's and don'ts, but we're not actually getting the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. And we get to the heart of what Jesus is trying to say is simply this, your heart matters. There's no difference between your actions and your heart. And so while I have never pushed a gentleman out of a bus that caused his death, I have certainly been angry. Unless I look at them and say, look at you, terrible person, versus me, a great person, uh, I will now remember the times that I've been angry myself. And Jesus would say, it's the heart of what's going on within you, not just the action. The action certainly does matter. But the heart matters too. And we see this throughout the scripture of God saying, Your heart matters. Your heart matters to me, your heart matters and what motivates you, your heart matters. And there are so many people in which Jesus actually will say, You, you claim to know me, but in your heart you don't know me. And so there are all kinds of people that that attend church and they do the right thing and they don't say any bad words and they read their Bible. But yet, within their heart, there's all kinds of ugliness and decay. And I don't just mean the kindness in every person. I mean there's no interest in changing any of that. There's no transformation. They go to church. That's why the church was one of the big defenders in the south of slavery. How can we say that we love Jesus and, and push that? When we look at what happened in Nazi Germany, the church turned a blind eye and just said, you know what, we're happy with the economic things that are happening in our country. And then we have this great persecution of the Jews. that the church is not all, but many just sat by. So they understood the words. They didn't understand the heart. And what Jesus is trying to say is in the kingdom of God, it's about the heart as much as it is about your actions. Now, he's very critical of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they're all about the actions, but they have none of the heart. And we, we read that um, last week. You know They've got these long tassels to say, look at how observant we are of the law, but in our hearts we want to kill you. In fact, they're the ones who did end up killing Jesus. And you get it. You not get the point of what the kingdom of God is about. And I would go so far as to say, without uh, trying to be overly judgmental, there are many in the church today that just do not get it, and it's causing problems with the propagation of the gospel because the gospel other people are hearing is not the real gospel because so many of us aren't concerned about our hearts. We're just concerned about our actions. But we do take it at face value. There are some principles we could pull out, and that's generally how we read passages like this. That's not what we're going to do this morning, because I'm going to take you on a little journey here. But what he's saying here is, is if you come to offer a sacrifice, which is meant to absolve you of your sin, and you realize somebody's angry with you, or you're angry with somebody else, you should go deal with that because you can't truly deal with God with your sin until you've dealt with that, because that's sin too. That's unrepentant sin. So to, even sacrifice is not meant to take away unrepentant sin. So if you need to, if you need to do that, go do it. And, and, and it says in verse twenty four, go do it quickly. Verse twenty five says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Now, why would Jesus equate insult, or anger, with murder. Jesus is is always concerned with our hearts. He's always concerned with our motives because they demonstrate what's really going on within us. Our actions can so be covered up. We can all wear masks. We can pretend to be something we're not. But in our hearts in which what, what God looks at, He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's happening within our lives. He knows that this is, the re- is real for us or, hey, there might be a heaven and I want to make sure I'm okay in order that I can get there and just in case there's a heaven. And that's very much a very Western gospel and has been for all my life. But Jesus is all about the heart. This is why he opens with the Beatitudes. You who are weary and heavy laden, he says, come to me. You who are poor in spirit, you are blessed you who are persecuted you are blessed Jesus recognizes that within those people that are truly going to seek him and 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 what he's about there is a sense of brokenness within them in which they say i i need a change Now remember with within my own story i didn't come to Christ wanting heaven i came to Christ wanting change right here on earth. And I find there's a very real difference between those two avenues of coming to Christ. Well, I want to make sure I make it to heaven as if, you know, heaven's just kind of like a a super amped up Disney world. Or I want Jesus right now because I'm just messed up right now. I find those two roads lead to very different places for people. But one of them is way easier to sell than the other because i can't sell your own brokenness i can't hype your own brokenness i can't put 15 really clever facebook posts up about your brokenness to make you want jesus because brokenness is something that you come to grips and terms with on your own that's one of the reasons i believe that that when you're kind of growing up into the world it sometimes takes it takes some hurt to really be able to come to know jesus Because it's in that hurt that we find, oh yeah, oh, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be so angry that you murder somebody to have the exact same consequences because your heart is just as marred by being unrighteously angry. And I use that word because Scripture will tell us about a righteous type of anger. The unrighteous anger that you hold on to and that you regularly pass on to other people. That's sin. That's just sin. And if you come to me, and and at this time Jesus was talking about the sacrificial system, but now for us the sacrificial system is done with Jesus. Like Jesus is a sacrifice. If we're claiming Jesus and yet we're just constantly pushing anger out, the question is, do we really know Jesus? Because Jesus is saying, don't keep pushing anger out. He's always concerned with our hearts. Now as we enter into this, I'm going to encourage us that we are going to seek compassion over anger, but we also have to recognize that anger never starts off as a primary emotion. We have to know what anger is, right? You've never just immediately launched into anger, all right? Anger is um, a secondary emotion. Something preceded anger. There are all different things that can precede anger. The number one thing that precedes anger is hurt. You're hurt thing that precedes anger is fear, the fear of being hurt. There are other things that contribute to anger, stress. So there's a reason a lot of people are angry right now. And and at times, you may even feel angry, and you don't even know why you're angry. You just feel angry because we're under stress. These are universal experiences. You cannot orchestrate your life away from anger. You're going to get hurt. The only way not to get hurt is to not have any contact with anyone. But you'll hurt yourself, won't you? It is impossible to escape anger. When I when I look back on on um my life, um I tried to I tried to pinpoint what makes me angry. And, you know, pastors don't really talk about that. Because we want to act like we don't ever get angry, um, we do. We get angry. Uh, we get angry. We deal with anger in different ways. Um, one of the things uh, that makes me angry uh, is when I'm ignored. Uh, that probably points to a deeper issue of my need to be seen. But when I'm ignored, I get angry. Maybe maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, I get angry um, when I and 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 not just. I need somebody to put me on a pedestal wherever I go. Like, if if I say something and it's treated like um, I didn't say anything at all, I get angry. Now, is that good? Um, No. Is it normal? Yes. Is it something that I should work on? Absolutely. So I found for me, when I'm ignored, I get angry. I find when I'm accused of doing something I haven't done, I get livid. You say, Mark did this and I didn't do it. I get livid. Should I go um, respond? Um, yes. Should I respond in anger? No. Anger is complicated. Um, I try to think about when have I most been angry in my life. And honestly, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm self-aware enough to be able to point out to when I was the most angry in my life. But I can point to one <sighs> season of my life. I was super angry. And uh, was when someone was very close to me was dating a really bad person. Um, this is not my wife. This is not my daughter. So if you're trying to figure out who the story is about, but but I, I don't I don't want to share who the person is. But someone very close to me. We'll leave it at that. Um, was dating a really bad person. He's really bad to her. Really bad to her. Um, he's violent, demeaning. Um, He was physically abusive, and I can only guess, uh, probably sexually abusive. Uh, I was young, and I was mad. And so for a season of my life, I carried a baseball bat in my car, waiting for a time where I could see him. I think that's the most angry I've ever been in my life. Those are not healthy actions. Um, if you've got a baseball bat in the back of your car, you need to take it out and you need to find somebody to talk to. Um, the situation did resolve, not with my baseball bat, um, but I've spent the rest of my life thinking about that moment in my life. How did I get to that point? What would I have actually done? And it 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 shows you just like with Cadysha Bishop, uh, how quickly. Anger can push you to places you would never go otherwise. All right? All right, fast forward. Uh, lately, because I, you know, we all like to share, you know, back before I became a Christian, um, I sinned. But um let me let's fast forward to um, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, still sinning with anger. Um so a few years ago, uh maybe four or five, maybe longer, it's probably longer than that, honestly, but we were doing Journey, so um, I'm pastoring Journey. We're trying to do this thing in which we're seeking God, and we're trying to be authentic Christians and all these things, and I'm really trying to live it out. And uh, just so I have a clear context of how bad my behavior was, uh, we had, I started a business with a friend, and I was working probably, I don't know. I, it, it, I This is no exaggeration. I was working 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, it's pretty much full-time Journey, full-time work. A little time for my family, no time for recovery. Sabbath, we didn't preach on Sabbath during that season of, um, of life. And I walked into a restaurant to get lunch. They um, got my order wrong. I was, I was already hyped up. I had a huge argument um, not too long before with my business partner. And I was hyped up, and they got my order wrong. I wasn't upset. I mean, I was upset that got my order wrong. Just like anybody'd be upset, but I wasn't mad. I was I was ready to be triggered, and so I walked up there and I said, "Yeah, this is not my order. It's not what I ordered." Um. Now, this is a fast food restaurant. Uh, Usually, teenagers are working at the fast food restaurant, right? And um, they're chatting about who knows what. I don't know. Um, I'm mad. I think they're chatting about me. And um, the cook starts laughing. I was all it took. Because I already told you, one of my triggers is get treated like I don't matter. Get treated like I'm ignored. Set me off. So I, I, I went and got my baseball but No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. All right. <laughs> Story's not going there. Um, I just kind of went off. So give me my money back. Dude's sitting over here laughing at me. Uh, Let's get my money back. It took about um, a mile and a half driving away from the restaurant. The immense amount of shame that came on for that encounter. Because I do think that as Christians, there is no way for us to to not sin. I do think when we see Christ, our sin cannot be left undealt with in our heart. It pokes its head out and says, Mark, you blew it so oh, big time. I don't know what he was laughing at. I was mad. Now, I can justify. I was stressed. They got my order wrong. But Jesus doesn't justify. To this day, um, I think about that exchange, and like on the scale of one to ten of really bad outbursts of anger, um, that's really not a 10, right? I mean, there's way worse, like pushing a guy off a bus is way worse. But in my heart, I was sin. And it's more likely those are the types of things that we deal with on a daily basis than it is that we're going to actually physically hurt someone or that someone that we care about is being hurt by someone else. Anger takes us places we don't want to go. We don't always understand how it got us there. We, if we're going to follow Jesus, have to recognize I did irreparable damage to the gospel. I would have, even in that encounter at the restaurant, had they known I was a pastor or if I was a Christian. If those people themselves did not already know Jesus, I would have done irreparable harm to the gospel out of an outburst of anger that really had nothing to do with them. Because that's how anger works. And that's why Jesus says, "What's going on in your heart matters." It was shortly after that encounter that I decided this is the kind of stress that's gonna—it's not good. So I ended our business partnership, um, went out on my own, and um, decided I, I, this is not, I, this is no longer healthy. It's no longer healthy for me. I, if, if this is what this leads to, I'm not capable of of. Carrying on doing what I'm doing now, had again nothing to do with my business partner, nothing to do with him. This was me. This is all me, my heart. Not his, my heart. He's got to deal with his own stuff um, on everything else. Just like I got to deal with my stuff on everything else too. This was me, and I had to make that decision, and it wasn't good. We all do this. Part of what <clears throat> Jesus is doing is saying, "Don't be mad." Part of what Jesus is doing here is saying, "If you're going to be a part of the kingdom." your heart transformation matters. And if you're not interested in heart transformation, you're really not interested in the kingdom of God either. Which is a huge thing to show. Now, what gives me hope in the midst of these things um, is that this is one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross for us and for me. Just to cover sins like that, right? Because it's impossible for me to go and live life and for you to live life with never getting angry. Next week we're going to talk about lust. It's impossible to live life without lusting for something. And so if perfection is the way that Jesus is trying to teach and enter into the kingdom of God, uh, then Jesus would not have needed to have died. We just would have needed to have acted better. But this is an impossibility for us to always act better because our hearts are always working against us. Our nature is working against us. And this shows us why Jesus had to be the atonement for us and not just our own good actions. There is a real difference between those who believe in Jesus and those who are being transformed by Jesus. And it is not that they never get angry. It usually is what happens when you do get angry. One of the questions that comes up um, when we talk about anger, and what I also don't want to leave today saying is, you're a good christian you just will never get mad and no matter what anybody does to you you'll take it and you'll just you'll just be a walking mat for everybody Uh, bible does not teach that it's not what the bible says about doing life or (coughs) living with other people in fact jesus himself will say in matthew chapter 18 what do you do when somebody sins against you what do you do when somebody's a real jerk to you what do you i mean what do you do when somebody's not living this out and this is primarily." Well, for people within the church, um, because and most of Jesus' teaching is like this. He's like, you know, people who don't haven't agreed to this and don't want the kingdom of God. Why in the world are we going to hold them to kingdom principles when they don't even want to have anything to do with the kingdom? But for people that are in the kingdom, this is what Jesus says how to do with it, deal with it. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Bring it up, confront it. Say, you hurt me. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, Two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. In other words, when you are wronged and you are hurt and people sin against you, confront them with it. If they will not listen to you, take somebody else with you. And if they won't listen to the two of you, take it to the church, and the whole church needs to confront this wrongdoing that's in your midst. Jesus fully and 100% says um, injustice within the church needs to be addressed. Do you have a question? yeah yeah um, so the question is is how does that look like um, for gossip so um, I would say that could be a fuzzy line for uh, uh, for an outside observer. For an inside observer, gossip never seeks to solve the problem. Gossip only seeks to share the punishment with as many people as possible. That would be my short answer. Um, long answer is um, we're not really talking about petty things here. Like, we're talking about probably serious offenses. Uh, Somebody steals from you, someone physically hurts you, like um, your cow falls in the hole in their front yard, and the law clearly says they're supposed to reimburse you, and they're refusing. Um, But, um, you know, yeah. So there's a fine line between seeking reconciliation, which I think is the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say, um, and, and seeking to pass on punishment. Gossip seeks to punish um, and honestly, um, if we were to, in a nutshell, say what Jesus is trying to say and what is the purpose of this teaching on anger, it would be this. Uh, we're all about reconciliation. We are not about division. Anger divides. It does not reconcile people together. That's what Kim read earlier. Uh, we have been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, and now we have been given a ministry of reconciliation so that others will be reconciled with God and with him each other because all the law you remember is summed up in loving God and loving each other. We are a people that should be about reconciliation. I'm giving uh, somebody a hard time because they're laughing about something and I just want to assume it's about me because I'm already hyped up and I'm stressed out about something else. I'm not actually restoring anything. I'm not actually helping any relationship to form. I'm not actually moving anyone to know and appreciate God. I'm not showing any forgiveness. I'm not showing any compassion. Um, I'm not bringing reconciliation in that moment, and that's a serious offense in the scriptures. When we separate, it's a serious offense. Uh, you know, if if you bring division within the church, it's a serious offense. If you cause um, a young believer to stumble over something silly, um, it's a serious offense. I mean, Jesus says it'd be better for you to have a, a, a stone tied around your neck and you thrown over the side of a boat. Um, that doesn't sound very compassionate or gracious or graceful, right? But that's also the teachings of Jesus. We have to understand what's the purpose of this. We we, we talk about not being angry, but typically uh, if uh, there's one story that we justify our anger with, what is it? Somebody just say it. What's the one story we justify our anger with? And it, huh? That's it. Well, Jesus walked in and he turned over tables and that's what i did because they didn't put grilled chicken on my salad you know it's not the same thing right but we use that story to justify our anger all the time all the time we do i get to the point what's the purpose what's the heart of this this thing As we read through this wrong should be confronted and you should not continue to put yourself in a position of being hurt and wronged. If you work for a boss that treats you bad, you need to get another job. You don't just need to sit there and take it and say, it's all for Jesus, I'm doing this all for Jesus. No, you need to quit and get another job. Within the church, um, one of the hardest counseling sessions I ever have is, is with someone in a marriage being abused. You should just stay and take it. And, and quite, no, I'm not saying that. Please, uh, I need to back up. That's what people say. That's a wrong answer. But that's what people say. That's what Christians say. Today, right now, there are pastors telling, and it's usually women. I'm not going to say that women don't abuse men, and they do. But by and large, it is not the direction that the abuse goes. And there are pastors today that will say, you should stay. Because Paul said, you should try to win him to the Lord if he doesn't kill you first. I just think that is the worst, most demonic counsel that you could have. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, you ask them um, a question and they hurt your feelings. I'm talking about like serious abuse here. And what Jesus is saying here is, Don't ignore this and just continue to put yourself in this position. But what he would go on to say is that even when you are wronged, even when you're hurt, you're fearful, you're stressed, we forgive because we have been forgiven of doing the same or worse to God and to others why we reconcile. We're just as guilty. I'm not as guilty as this woman who pushed this man off a bus. Jesus said, if you've ever been angry, you are. Matthew, verse 18, he starts a parable. Peter introduces this parable by coming up and saying to him, Lord, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him many as seven times? Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, we all read this story, the first time we read it, first time we hear it, like we finish the story before we actually know what the rest of the story is right, right? Peter's coming in saying, I'm, you know, he's wronged me, big time. Uh, I don't know how these other disciples deal with uh, their kingdom of God stuff, but, I mean, seven times, right? That's a lot of times forgive somebody. Jesus says, oh no, it's 70, 77 times. He goes on to tell the story of the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant is the story where this person owes a rich person um, a lot of money. Like um, so much money that no one could ever repay it. Like hundreds of years of uh, of living wages he owed. And he takes him... To court and says you're going to pay me, I'm going to throw you in prison. He says, oh please, 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 I'll pay you back. Please just be gracious with me. And and he says, okay, I'm going to not just be gracious, I'm going to forgive your whole debt. And then that same person who was just forgiven that debt goes and somebody owes him, you know, a couple thousand dollars or so. And and he says, you're going to pay me back or I'm going to throw you in prison. And the servants are so overwhelmed with anger um, because here he's just been forgiven this massive debt and now he won't forgive this really small debt. And they go back to the first master, and the guy's like, I'm, you know, I can't believe you would do this. I'm putting you in prison. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in prison. I haven't either. Um, that's kind of a weird way, I guess, to introduce this idea. I haven't been in prison either, but I don't know if you've been in prison, but you don't make a lot of money in prison. So if you've got to go to prison and you've got to pay back a debt, you're not getting out. That's it. It's a life sentence. Um, you're not, you're not going to make any money. Um, We read that in verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned them and said to him, You wicked servant, (coughs) I forgave you all that debt, because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until... He should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ah, that is Jesus, not some wayward disciple. And it's one of those passages that we go, oh my gosh, I am so glad Jesus died on the cross for me because there's no other way I could have made it. No other way I could have made it with those standards. We have this interesting parallel. Forgive seven times, no, 77 times. There's one other place in Scripture in which those two numbers are together. Does anybody happen to know what that, where that is? You get bonus points if you know this. There's only one other place in Scripture where the number seven and seventy-seven are together. Does anybody know? Yeah, no. It had not. It was not this. It was not a retelling of this story. Okay, it is in Genesis chapter four, story of of Lamech. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel um, are brothers and sons of Adam and Eve, and they both bring offerings to the Lord, and the Lord accepts Abel's but not Cain's. Cain gets super mad, super mad. Um, And this is when the Lord visits him, and he says, sin is crouching at your door, but you can resist it. And he goes and he kills Abel and sets into motion a whole series of events, and he's like, oh, they're going to kill me for what I've done. And God says, no, I will not let you be killed. And then there's some mark of Cain that no one would ever kill him, and there has been different um, interpretations of what that means. Um, anyways, on down the line, Cain moves off. He's said to have been the first city builder. Instead of dispersing like God instructed him to do, he brings everybody together and they build this big city, but it's just this evil, terrible city um, where terrible things happen here. I mean, all the bad things you ever hear about a city is what's going on here. And Cain eventually has kids. Um, on down the line, he has someone named Lamech. And uh, this is what Genesis 4:23 and 24 says. This is, these are the words of Lamech, the descendant of Cain, said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. That seems like eerily similar, right? Like Jesus may actually have been referencing that story, to which while we aren't really experts on Lamech, um, his audience was like they knew who Lamech was. They knew the story of seven and seventy seven. Uh, 77. But what we, <laughs> excuse me, see in the story of Lamech is rather than talking about forgiveness, what we see is vengeance someone struck me, slapped me, or punched me, and I killed him. And I'll do 77 times worse to what somebody does to me. And i just got to say, I run into people all the time that live by that creed. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you worse. And can I just tell you that's a human emotion? That's how we deal with hurt and how we deal with pain. I'm going to hurt you like you hurt me. But what Jesus is doing is he's trying to draw a distinction between the way the world works and the way the kingdom of God works. Whereas Lamech deals with being wronged with vengeance, Jesus says the kingdom of God deals with wrong through forgiveness. Complete opposite response. There's a fundamental difference between how Jesus handles anger and how we handle anger. And you can't walk out of here saying, well, I just won't be angry anymore. You will be angry. But you can, just as sin was crouching at Cain's door, you can handle it differently. We have that ability. So we have this forgiveness versus vengeance. The world seeks vengeance. Christians forgive. It doesn't mean that we forgive and we keep taking it. We go deal with it. And Jesus said, if they will not listen to anyone, then have nothing to do with them again. Like separate yourself from them. Don't don't keep inviting this into your life. It's separate yourself from it. But we forgive. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, again, this is where Jesus, I mean, the disciples got it and Paul got it. I mean, Jesus talks about like the kingdom of God is so opposite for the world. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good like these are the teachings where like you really decide am I really about Jesus or not cuz I'm not feeding my enemy he's on his own like if he's got something I'm going to try to take it he's my enemy does Jesus not understand what an enemy is all throughout Jesus is trying to show us there's another way <clears throat> and yes people do terrible things but Paul would also go on to say, but we don't wrestle with those people. The issue is not with those people. The issue is with who? Does anybody remember? Spiritual forces, principalities of the air, the ruler of this world. Because those people, had they not been influenced by that, they would still be living as they did in the garden. We're not fighting against them. We've got to start stop fighting against each other. So there's there's this forgiveness versus vengeance there's also compassion versus anger now I when I read this story about kadisha Bishop um I I, I can honestly say um you know I've, I read it with compassion because we've all had bad days and I've not gone as far as she went but I'm just as capable as she is of gone, going that far. So we can read with compassion and recognize, she, I don't know what she's dealing with at home. I don't know what she's dealing with. I, I know she's dealing financially with stuff um, because she also got arrested during this time for not returning a rental car. So now she had like grand, grand theft larceny on her. Um, and you, do you know why you don't return a rental car? It's because you don't have a car and you don't have any money. And you want to talk about stress? Anybody know what it's like to live life without any money? That's stress. You get angry like that, and you don't know why. It's because you're stressed. You've got no money. I don't know what all is going on in her life, but I can look at her and say, yes, what she did was horrible. And and, and, and for the victim's family, it's horrible. And, and, and she should be held accountable for her actions. Any one of us could have gotten there, too, on the wrong day or on the right day. It's possible. <coughs> it's not just compassion versus anger. It's also reconciliation versus division because we are given the ministry of reconciliation bringing people together. And we are not going to bring people together by being angry and we're not going to bring people together when they hurt us that we hurt them back. We're going to bring reconciliation as if we love them even when they're hurting us, even though at times we have to distance ourselves from them. And pray for them, yes. We pray for our enemies, too. And for our loved ones that struggle with anger. But see, you could put any sin in here. Because he's going to go on next week to talk about lust. Like, I've told you to not sleep with your neighbor's wife. And and probably everybody in here will be like, I hope everybody in here will be like, yeah, done. We don't even, we even talk about that. Done. I'd never do that. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, but if you've ever lusted for anybody, it's the exact same thing. Like Jesus, you just... You have no idea how to build a crowd, do you? You have no idea how to build a church. Like, you need some you need somebody to come alongside you and temper you because you every time we get something going, you screw it up. This is what I want to close with: Ephesians chapter four, verse seventeen, talking about the new life. This is this is um, another place where we read about what does it mean to be transformed. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, good and bad. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, which is where we see this possibility of a righteous anger. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, we're not preaching a compassion that does not hold people accountable to their actions talking about how we deal with them interpersonally with our own hearts. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him do honest work. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the call if we listen. As you can imagine, dealing with anger, it can't be done from 10.30 to 11.45 on a Sunday morning. It's got to be done when you're a mile and a half away from the restaurant that you just acted like an idiot got to be done when someone calls you up and says something they shouldn't have said and you responded in kind. We've got to be, get to a place where we don't give what we receive, but we give something better. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. So you can see why he would open with the Beatitudes. Doesn't it seem like it's a lot easier for a person to deal with anger if they're already poor in spirit? Doesn't that seem easier? They're already meek, which means, for the most part, controlled and have a good understanding of themselves. It's not that they're weak, but but they're controlled. They have self-control, which is honestly a gift of the a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is is we're controlled. See, a person who doesn't lash out when they're persecuted, but instead sees it as a blessing because now their lives are more fully aligning with Christ, That's why he's saying the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the world. This mixing of the the kingdoms together doesn't work. We can't take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and mix it all together to find something that's palatable to us. It's either the kingdom of God or it's not. Our hearts matter. Your heart matters. I do not encourage you to seek out opportunities to be angry just so you can practice not being angry. That's not really helpful. They'll come on their own time. But ask yourself, what is going on in my heart? Do I believe that Jesus is, is Lord in my mind, that I don't bow my heart to Him? Do I treat people terribly because I'm out bow right now? Let me just say for those, I, there there are always in every group someone who's, takes a message like this and they internalize it and they feel shame and guilt and they're like, oh my gosh, he's just talking about me and I'm such a, I'm such a bad person. Oh, uh, Let me just say, thank you Jesus for dying on the cross for us. That's why he had to die on the cross for us. You will never be good enough on your own. Jesus has come to show us love and to transform us into something else. But this is a lifelong process. Don't walk out of here with shame. Walk out of here with resolve to model the way of Jesus. If you're angry here today, can I just say, um, this is a good place to forgive. And if the person you need to forgive um, isn't here or, or, or isn't, you don't even know where they are now. You can still forgive, even if they're not here. Um, if they're not apologetic and they've hurt you, uh, it's the same instruction to forgive. You no, know, you don't have to set yourself up to let them keep doing it. But we can still for we can still forgive, even if they're not apologetic, because because this is what we're doing because of who Christ is. Uh, not because it's it's fair if you're a person who's hurt someone else, you know you've hurt somebody else, just as Jesus taught, you need to go and you need to you need to reconcile. We are not a people who doesn't sin, but we should be a people that ask forgiveness a lot more than anybody else. You can do that reconcile. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We cannot do that if we hold on to our anger. We cannot do that if we, if we ourselves are, are, are knowingly hurting other people. We've got to deal with this. This is the way of the kingdom. And it is good. Very good. Can you imagine living in a place where people are working so hard to forgive when wronged? They're working so hard not to anger. Or working so hard not to become angry themselves. Wow, what, a, what a people to be a part of. I'm not sure Christians can always be labeled as that type of person. But that's who we should be. And that's who we can endeavor to be. Even though I don't know this lady in Starbucks that she's upset with Christians for being judgmental. I, I don't know. Maybe she, she likes to kick puppies during the day. And like you should be judged for that, right? I don't know what her life is like. <clears throat> but maybe she also just needs somebody to show her another way. Maybe maybe she's been wronged, And we can show her a better way. I want to pray with you, then we're going to close. Father, I thank you for your graciousness. Even when it's hard for us to be gracious ourselves. I thank you for your forgiveness, even when even when we don't feel like we should be forgiven. I thank you for pointing us to a better way even when we are tempted to go a a worse way. And I pray that you would give us the strength to follow your teachings in this this way particularly. (coughs) Father, you have said that your Spirit will gift us with gentleness, Patience, goodness, and self-control. You said your spirit will do that within us. And so I, I ask for you to do that within us in those moments where it is so hard to see past the red in our own eyes. For those who are hurt and they are consistently being hurt, I pray for supernatural comfort and grace to share with others for those who are being repeatedly hurt, and it's time for them to to walk away, to step away, to create some separation, just as you encouraged us to do. I pray that you would give them those doors to open to walk into a healthier space. Father, I also pray that we would not be a people who are easily angered. We will not be offended at every single thing that someone says that we disagree with. That we will be compassionate even when others hurt us. But Father, let us be great examples of what it means to follow you. Not just the fact that we do the right things. <clears throat> but when we do the wrong things, you are there to cover us. We ask all this in Jesus' name.